welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday. We are here. It is Soccer Morning. It is the aftermath. It's one of those aftermath shows. I like like to call it that. We are audio only today. So if you are usually one of those people who watch via YouTube, I apologize. That is not that is on them, not on us. Uh, but we are here. We are going to talk about the U.S. men's national team. We are going to talk about some comments that Don Garber made at Soccer X in Manchester. We are going to talk to our friends Charlie Bohm uh, from MLSsoccer.com and USsoccerplayers.com and SoccerWire.com uh, about that game last night. The United States losing to Brazil 4-1. to at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Not the kind of thing that gives you a whole lot of confidence going into a game against Mexico in October. So we'll get, discuss the fallout with Charlie, what Klinsman might have learned, what mistakes he might have made in terms of just setting up his team to learn something. Because learning is not just about showing up. Learning is about preparing to learn, right? So if you're Jurgen Klinsman, did he make the right decisions to put his team in a position to actually get some valuable information out of that game. And you know I'm talking about Alejandro Bedoya. Alejandro Bedoya set out as a defensive midfielder alongside a wandering Jermaine Jones against Brazil. I don't know about that one. And then you pull him in the 36th minute because it just wasn't working. All right. So, Charlie, in a couple of minutes, in the meantime, let's do the news. Let's run down what happened all over the place in the world of soccer. The U.S. men's national team falling to Brazil 4-1 to at Gillette Stadium in their final tune-up before facing Mexico for the Confederations Cup berth on October 10th. Goals from Hulk, Rafinha, and two from Neymar for the Brazilians. Danny Williams with a late blast to keep the U.S. from being shut out in the game. And as I mentioned, Klinsman pulled Alejandro Bedoya for Williams in the 36th minute after putting him in an uncustomary defensive midfield position. After the match... Bodoya said, I've never played there as a professional. That's an alarm bell. Mexico and Argentina played to an entertaining 2-2 draw on a terrible, terrible, terrible sod surface at AT&T Stadium in Texas. The The story's not really the game for me. It's the fact that Lionel Messi was nearly swallowed by that field. But Javier Hernandez scored from the penalty spot. Hector Herrera scored for Mexico. And Argentina fought back in the last five or ten minutes to get goals from Sergio Aguero and Lionel Messi to get the draw. Don Garber has told people at Soccer X in Manchester that he believes MLS we thought of alongside La Liga and Serie A and hopefully the Premier League in 10 years' time or less. Garber addressed uh, the gathered dignitaries of football there in Manchester, talking attendance, talking academies, talking about spending. Then he said, that there will be no promotion and relegation. That should become as no surprise to you. He also uh, proposed, uh, he's also ta- said that MLS is in talks with the Premier League over a proposed Anglo-American Cup that could involve a league champion, English league champion, and a, an FA Cup champion. So that's on the table as a possibility in the future. I imagine this would be a summer tournament. Probably not the best time for MLS clubs to be playing something like that, but it seems very clear that MLS is looking to maximize its return from those games and wants to take control of some of those tournaments or perhaps even the biggest tournament, the most interesting tournament uh, from some other parties that are doing business in the United States. European qualifiers yesterday, England beating Switzerland to nothing notable because Wayne Rooney scored a penalty to get his 50th English goal. He is now the all-time leading goal scorer for his country, passing Bobby Charlton. Austria took apart Sweden 4-1 to and has officially qualified for Euro 2016. Meanwhile, the Swedes are in a scramble to make it into a playoff position. Spain beat Macedonia 1-0. There were other results uh, out there as well. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Jamaica who was in big trouble after a disastrous first leg against Nicaragua. They were down 3-2 to two after losing at home at the office. They come back. They get a 2 nothing win in Nicaragua. Simon Dawkins with a late goal to put Jamaica through into the next round of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. They join 
Costa Rica, Panama, and Haiti in Group B. Haiti also advancing last night when they took down Grenada 6-1 on aggregate. Canada, 1-1 draw with Belize, wins 4-1 on on aggregate in the series and goes into Group A with Mexico, Honduras, and El Salvador. El Salvador squeaked by Curaçao 2-0 on aggregate to book their spot in the next round. Guatemala and St. Vincent and the Grenadines have advanced into Group C with the United States and Trinidad and Tobago. So all of your groups are now set for your fourth round of CONCACAF qualifying. Things are getting underway in November. Again, the United States in Group C, Trinidad and Tobago, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Guatemala. Not by any stretch of the imagination the toughest group for the U.S. and Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, we'll see how the Americans start off when things get started uh, there again in, in November. The Australia women's national team has officially canceled their U.S. trip as the deadline for leaving Australia to head to the U.S. has passed on Wednesday of course, the Matildas are in are part of the dis- dispute between the Professional Footballers uh, Australia and the Football Federation Australia over a new collective bargaining agreement. That group, the PFA, represents both men and women's players. This group, this dispute involves the A League teams. It also involves the men's teams, and it certainly involves, obviously, the women's team. The women's team has put a priority on getting a CBA done. They refused to travel under a proposed uh, letter that would have covered this particular trip. Now, this affects American fans. Obviously, the U.S. Women's National Team was set to play the Matildas in on September 17th in Detroit, so just over a week away, and September 20th in Birmingham. Birmingham? Birmingham. When it's the English one, it's Birmingham, and when it's the American one, it's Birmingham because they're in, in Alabama. They don't say Birmingham. We'll see how this plays out. Clearly, there is a lot to unpack here. The Football Federation Australia has said that it's sad that Matilda has been dragged into this dispute that he believes uh, that they believe is primarily about the A-League. The offer to the Matildas would basically double their pay over the next four years. New demands are simply not affordable, and the PFA knows it. Uh, at the same time, on the other side, the Professional Football's Australia Chief Executive Adam Vivian said each women's team player makes 21000 Australian dollars Roughly $14,500 a year, American. They don't even have yearly contracts. They have six-month contracts. He added that the female players have not been paid in two months. When they negotiated it, it was because it was on the premise that they were part-time, only 120 days a year. They would have to work, and clearly, as we saw in the lead-up to the Women's World Cup, while it's fantastic that they have a full-time program, the remuneration wasn't great. They ended up working 150 days 154 days in about six months, and so they fall into a sort of that unpaid category very, very quickly. We'll see uh, what the fallout here is, a big deal in Australia that could affect many, many different aspects of Australian football. Let's step aside. We'll talk about many aspects of American soccer with Charlie Bohm in just a minute. It's Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. During the past few months, we've created a new weekend tradition, which includes watching your favorite MLS team play on TV, muting the broadcast, heading over to Rabble.tv to hear my audio during the game, and then drinking a cold beverage as we spend 90 minutes together discussing our favorite league. Now Rabble.tv is taking it to the next level with a brand new redesign, as well as new apps for Android and iOS smartphones and tablets. So no matter whether you're at home or on the road, tune into this Sunday's broadcast between Orlando and Sporting Kansas City and listen to me sharing my thoughts and opinions. With Rabble, you can join in too by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone or Android, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Orlando City versus Sporting Kansas City on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. 
with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning. Thank you very much for joining us. We now have on the line with us Charlie Bohm. You can find his work at MLSsoccer.com and USsoccerplayers.com and SoccerWire.com and follow him on Twitter at C-B-O-E-H-M. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing fine, Jason. Feeling a uh, men's national team hangover, but I'm sure... Uh, I'm not alone in that. Look, and let's let's just state this for for you know for clarity's sake, because I see this argument a lot in the aftermath, and, and we're all trying to wrap our heads around this. And some people are more apologetic about the state of things under Klinsman than others. No one expected the United States to go out and boss Brazil. Most people expected them to lose to Brazil. It's sort of the uh, the systemic failure of that team last night, and certainly the questions around Klinsman's tactics which led to a first-half substitution that are causing a lot of the concern today. I, th- I think that's fair to say. Um, you, can, you can lose 4-1 in some different ways, I guess. And they, um, you know, I think you're, you're looking, especially at this point, uh, given everything that had been said over the past week by Klinsman and his players, um, you know, I, I, just, I did not expect to see that approach to that game. Uh, having been at the game at uh, versus Peru in D.C. on Friday night, having heard all the the talk, the very serious uh, atmosphere around the team, uh, the the um, those repeated statements about you know how how intensely these friendlies were being handled, that the time for experimentation was was done or was was not now, uh, and yet you know we still see more experimentation. So uh, nothing inherently wrong with with experimentation and friendlies, of course, it's where you learn, but. It was jarring to see that, given the context of this game. Uh, you know, Klinsman used the, that context specifically in the co- in, in terms of his goalkeeping choice, mm-hmm. saying we don't have time for positional <laughs> battle right now, and and uh, we we need to get everything right for Mexico. And I, I don't think they've gotten everything right for Mexico. No, certainly not. And, and again, I mean, the, the take say what you want about the the Peru match where they go down a goal, and, and certainly. Uh, didn't look good for large stretches. They they fought back. They got two goals from Josie Altador. There were some flashes of good things. Certainly, Giassi's artist got a lot of praise. It it was and and look again. Brazil's on a different level. Their speed of play was the most marked difference that uh, changed the way the United States responded. But it, it goes back to the very beginning and Klinsman talking about not wanting to experiment, as you said, because there's not time or you don't experiment against Brazil is what he said, and then putting. Alejandro Bedoya, who said after the match he'd never played that position in his professional career into a, a holding midfield role, how can you justify that on any level? Well, I think I always allow for some uh, a fair amount of, of positional fluidity uh, in, a, in, in the central area of the midfield in particular. So, you know, when I saw, I mean, first my eyebrows raised when I saw the description, the official description of that lineup as a 4-2-3-1, which is something that really hadn't been featured very much at all. I went back and looked at every lineup that they've fielded in the calendar year of 2015, and it's dominantly a 4-4-2 team. Occasionally, it, you know, there's variance between uh, the diamond 4-4-2 and a more of a flat 4-4-2, but I did not expect to see such a significant change from, uh, and, and this is not just in theory on, on the paper, but in practice on the field. You know, in, in in theory, Bedoya could have been released uh, to ro- range forward to, fill, to kind of um, patch the space between Bradley and Jones, and you know, there's a lot of different ways that could have looked in, in reality. But uh, and and you know, I was I was already coming off a, a game against Peru where Jones and Bedoya were the central midfield uh, pair that had never played together in that role before. So to see that kind of uh, you know Jurgen kind of up the ante, I think in terms of the experimental nature of things, and you know maybe he learned from it, but I think a. a, a most people would tell you that a first half substitution in any context in any game is an admission of uh, either a real damning indictment of a particular player or of a tactical outlook. Certainly seems that way. Um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to overstate the the effect on on Bedoya, who, by the way, entered uh, entered this camp carrying a, a bit of a knock and recovering from that knock. Uh, so there's something to consider there. I, I know, and we have to give. I suppose we have to give Klinsman a pass on the fact that he didn't have Clint Dempsey, who uh, was um, was not called in for the second match as originally planned. He didn't have Michael Bradley against Peru. Uh, he didn't have Fabian Johnson. Th- there were some significant absences from that. Does that does that mitigate any of the um, of, of the any of the bad feelings here, or is it simply because Mexico's coming and there are no more games to prepare 
that uh, that we should be worried? Well, it's it, the context always matters, and the personnel always uh, affects how you do things. There's no direct replacement for Clint Dempsey, uh, at least in the group uh, of Americans that that Klinsman has called of late. There's no one you can plug in and try and have them do the same things that Dempsey does. You know, he he is the one who can single handedly make a very vanilla looking four four two. Uh, resembles something much more formidable and more fluid on paper just because of his movement and his intelligence and his ability to get between the lines and, and sniff out the spaces and the opportunities in games. Um, and, of course, Fabian Johnson is, is a player who's, whose name is in pen whenever he's healthy and available. So, you know, but they, we, we knew all that coming in. And, again, I don't think anyone really expected to get a, a, a victory in this game. I don't think that a victory would have been, um, you know, Greeted as as any enormous sign of uh, of anything systemic, good or bad, uh, but it's just the you know, and, and I and I don't think building on your point, I don't think Bedoya is going to be overly affected by this. He's uh, he's a professional, a, a veteran pro. Um, he's got a thick skin. He, you know, if Klinsman had any concerns about his, his its effect on his confidence, you know, yanking him in the first half, he probably wouldn't have done it. I think he probably feels like. Um, you know he's got a good relationship with with Bedoya. It, it does dr- draw an interesting contrast to one, as I mentioned before, the goalkeeping situation, how that's been handled, the way in which the personalities in question have been handled, and the way that Josie Altador has been handled. You know, I, I mean, that's a player who um, was given the the captain's armband against Peru very conspicuously. I don't think we'd see that sort of move made with him um, because every player is different, you know, and so certainly I, I respect Jurgen for, for handling player, different players in different ways, but um, it just, you know, this result is going to, is going to fester a bit in the minds of the players and the minds of the, the overall soccer community. You know, maybe it gives them an extra chip on their shoulder going into Mexico. Maybe this team really is at its best uh, as I've seen before uh, with adversity, with doubt, uh, with struggle, with you know, with all these sort of questions swirling over them, but I I don't imagine this is how it was drawn up. No, certainly not. And, and again, I mean, I, I guess some of the question here for for a lot of the fans, and and, and we even struggle with it here on, on the media side. And uh, you know, I'm not going to claim to be a tactical genius. I just respond to what I see in terms of the the level of their play, certainly how they play. Again, we have the direct evidence of being outshot significantly in the Gold Cup, obviously losing in the semifinals of the Gold Cup, something they hadn't done in a very long time, and never to a team like Jamaica. Uh, and then this game and, and these two friends. I mean, again, I, I don't think the friendly should be overstated, but there's a question of how much do you blame Jurgen Klinsmann for their struggles and their inability to to dominate teams they should dominate and and play toe-to-toe with teams they should play toe-to-toe with and you'd even show up and put in a, a real effort against Brazil and how much do you blame the fact that the player pool doesn't measure up I mean I hate this argument of what did you expect against Brazil because that sort of under uh, sort of undercuts the notion that the United States should at least be competitive on some level yeah, again, uh, and and remember that this is a big um, part of of Jurgen's message is players, and by extension to to the broader soccer community, um, have the confidence. You know, tr- believe in yourself. Go step up. We're going to schedule the best teams we possibly can as opponents, and let's go see if we can uh, you know get at them. I mean, he's he said that about the Italy result. They got a great result uh, on foreign soil in a friendly against Italy. You know, there's any number of other results like that we can point to. You know, so I think there's in, 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 inevitably there's value that comes from a game like this, but you know you have to. I mean, even comparing it to the last time Brazil beat the U.S. four-one uh, three years ago in Landover, Maryland, you know, I, I came away from that match with with signs of encouragement. The gulf between the two teams and overall quality was was obvious, but there was a uh, there were moments when when the ball got down and was was pinged around, and, and there was possession and build up, and there was danger. You know, but I thought there was a lot less of that yesterday. I thought we saw a lot of the same um, symptoms of problems that we that we saw during the Gold Cup and and going back further. So there's, you know, that's it's unsettling, and and I don't know, uh, you know, and I also want to point out too, that, you know, a lot of the um, defensive Klinsman, you know, justifiably points to the system, right? The the systemic issues. He's he can only work with the player pool he has. Uh, anybody who pays any attention knows that you know our youth system and the developmental pathway is still highly problematic in this country. 
you know, and that's valid. That's that's certainly valid. But that's part of the that's part of the outlook of his job, right? That's in his job description. And and I think as a when you put down your technical director cap at some point, and you know, and you take on on your national team cap, you become an alchemist. You become a a makeup artist whose job it is to maximize the the positive aspects of your subject and and disguise the flaws and I don't I didn't see that I don't I don't understand how the strengths of the program which were laid out very clearly by Josie Altador after the Peru match you know as even as they learn a new style of play even even as they build the technical quality of their soccer they they know they cannot abandon the traditional american um, strengths the 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 will to win the mm-hmm. team spirit the work rate the intensity the focus the drive you know this is a team that knows at least they say they know that they cannot let those go as they try to add new things to their arsenal um, but I didn't I, I saw I saw missing pieces there last night you know um, Jurgen Klinsmann never lost to Mexico as a player or a coach uh, this, I guess, that's some sort of solace uh, heading into next month. Uh, again, this is 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 this is this game going to be some sort of, of referendum? I mean, you could say that certainly about a World Cup. And while the United States won one game, and it it took a, a very late set piece in order to do so at that tournament, and while uh, you know they were dominated for most most of the, the the matches they played in, they they still managed to make it to the knockout rounds. I, I mean, I, I just I, I guess I'm wondering. Like, it's it's a recency effect. Charlie, and this is one off, and this is Mexico, and it's going to be huge. I don't think there's going to be a fallout if they lose for him personally, but it, will there be some sort of change in opinion depending on how this game goes? Yeah, well, we can we can argue for days about how much friendly should matter. Um, you could even get into that about how much the Gold Cup matters, but this is a match that truly uh, truly matters on so many levels, and and Jurgen is a big reason for that. He is 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 one who's underline the importance of this match he's he's desperate to get his team into the the confederations cup um i think he uh sees it as a, a very rare and special opportunity to ch- to play against top level opponents in a match that in matches that matter you know as close as you can get to a world cup stage you know short of that the actual item itself so um it certainly matters a lot by all accounts and there certainly is a bit of a hoodoo against Mexico, right? I mean, the, the U.S. Was, were carrying plenty of problems into the last time they played Mexico, the friendly in San Antonio in April. Uh, and, and yet, you know, the, the normal service resumed. The, the pattern of, of U.S. dominance, at least on U.S. soil, uh, resumed with a victory. And there seems to be something about the United States that, that, that really blunts the, the, the most dangerous aspects of Mexico, especially when things don't go well at the start. That said, you know, the last time uh, Mexico did get a high-profile win over the U.S. on American soil was at the Rose Bowl in a, a big, massive match, the, mm-hmm. the Gold Cup final four years ago. And, and so that, that result in that occasion will, I'm sure, I'm sure, linger in many minds over the next month or so here. Yeah, a game that undid, Michael, or sorry, undid Bob Bradley's tenure. He was fired shortly after that match. And that's also mm-hmm. notable. That game's notable for some of the experimentation that Bob Bradley did. Now, it was on a, a it was on a big stage with a trophy on the line, and it was a high-profile loss. But at that point in time, Bob Bradley was trying to make some transitions for this team. There was a move away from the, the much maligned empty bucket. And it, while it created some things for the United States in the attacking end, it made them vulnerable to Mexico on the, other, on the other side. And he paid the price with his job. I don't think that Jurgen Klinsmann pays the price regardless of what he puts out against against Mexico. And as we've seen before, so much of this, uh, the debate about Jurgen Klinsmann is the disconnect between the rhetoric and what he says and, and what he actually does. But at this point in time, and again, this has been my, my stance for, for a while now, Charlie, if, if the United States has never lost Jamaica on U.S. soil, if, if they've never, if they haven't uh, failed at that level of the Gold Cup in, uh, you know, in, in 16 years and in, in the last time, or, or whatever it was, 13 years, and the last time they did it was a uh, a loss to a South American team, then then we are still talking about a regression, regardless of whether Klinsman has is in some overly subjective way pushing the team forward in terms of tactics and and those elements. And I, I just I guess I just don't see enough of that to make up for the fact that they are regressing in terms of their play. It, it, we should note too that that. The big picture meta objectives are not necessarily new or unique to Klinsman. Uh, Bob Bradley 
was dealing with the same sort of environment, same sort of situation, um, being you know wanting and being goaded and, and and urged to to adapt a more expansive style to to add more clubs to the bag to to show that the US or to move the US in a direction towards control of matches towards the proactive approach rather than the reactive approach uh, it was a team that showed its best moments uh, in a counterattacking mode and that was able to 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 absorb pressure and counterpunch really at an elite level when you look at Confederations Cup in 2009 when you look at some of the other big results of the Bradley era you know and, and I, I think we're still as Alexi Lalas has said that the this team is a better version of itself we still see that most of the best results come in that posture um, this team is still I think the American player still has an instinctive comfort in um, sitting deep soaking up a bit of pressure and then finding chances to break uh, you know the the idea of um, domination of possession of of manipulation of the match's tempo and rhythm. These are advanced concepts that have that everybody's wanted to attain for some time. And Klinsman was brought on. You know that wasn't the start of this process. He was the one that was seen to be the next level of this process. So you know I, I certainly hope that that there's been some benefit, at least in the eyes of the players. Many people have written, and you and I have discussed how difficult it is to to evaluate Klinsman because his position and his role and his outlook is unique in the history of the program. But uh, you know, at some point, someone, uh, whether it's Sunil Galati or whether it's the population at large, has to find a way to objectively evaluate the the team and the program's you know progress. And I think there are many other metrics we can look at in which Klinsman has been in, in, uh, you know massively helped. People at the grassroots level say he's he's connected the pieces in terms of the development academy, the youth national teams, in a way that was not done before. But when it comes down to it, the first hat he wears is that of a national team, senior national team coach, and and hopefully there will be some way to objectively rate that particular aspect of the job. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I buy the argument that oh this is all the system's fault when the last uh, three, four, five guys have had to deal with the same system, and in most cases they got better results on certain stages. Now, it is important to note, I suppose, and I'll ask you, Charlie, what this means. Jurgen Klinsmann, of all U.S. men's national team members, throughout uh, managers, coaches throughout history, has the highest winning percentage. He's three percentage points or two and a half percentage points ahead of Bob Bradley at this point. Yeah, and it's, it matters. You know that that certainly deserves to be, to be trotted out. That number deserves to be discussed and and praised. Um, you know how it, again in the Concacaf region you, you have. Um, I think it's tough to compare that globally because of you have a balance of friendlies to competitive matches. You have so many in your competitive matches within your region. You have so many David and Goliath sort of matchups. So it's difficult. The, the European-based friendlies and the overseas friendlies are specifically intended to, to try and escape the sort of you know the Concacaf uh, limitations, the systemic structural limitations imposed by geography. Um, I, I think t- to sort of um, go back to something you had alluded to before. You know, Jurgen had called this the year of education. 2015 was going to be the sort of consolidation of the progress that was seen at the World Cup. The the next step, you know, educating players about what the next level looks like, educating coaches, improving the structural um, manner in which coaches are made and improved in this country. And and there, the federation has released some useful guidelines and some some evolutions to to processes there they've they're going to the the new rules emphasize small sided matches they impose a very specific set of standards that uh that you know youth leagues around the country are going to be expected to 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 keep in mind um you know the birth year age has been changed so there's areas in which there's real progress that's being made but for me my my biggest frustration i think is that is you know in this industry you expect coaches and players to to say one thing and do another routinely totally expect it you know there's a there's those who feel that any kind of honesty in front of a microphone is potentially dangerous uh, understand all those things but if if Jurgen is going to lead this education process i wish that there was a more consistency in his words and actions in terms of the technical aspects and tactical aspects of the, the senior national team job because right now there's a lot of confusion about what this team is supposed to be, what we're supposed to see from this team on the field. And I think there's probably some confusion from players based on last night. Don't you feel, though, don't you feel as though, and again, this is a bigger picture issue, not related to necessarily the, the team's um, performance in the moment, although this is why he said some things. Don't you get the feeling, though, instead of sort of 
hey, let's go along this path together and we'll we'll figure this out. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to lead, but I want you as my partner. He kind of treats the American soccer construct and that's you and me and all the fans and everybody else is as hostile to him at all times. And he says things like we need to improve the education and, and he directly he's directly insulting the people he's supposed to be. I'm not saying he has to be a politician, Charlie. But on some level, if your program involves so much more than just going out and getting wins and losses, if you're trying to be more than Bob Bradley, then you probably owe it to the people um, that are uh, counting on you to be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, a little bit more engaging on that level. He talks a lot, but he doesn't ever say anything that, that directly hits at what he's trying to do. And he does these things where <laughs> we can't help but feel insulted. Well, it's... It- you know, I, I, I suppose there's nothing wrong with uh, expecting a, as thick a skin and as um, you know much of an open-mindedness uh, towards new information from your fans and your other observers as you would expect from your players. So, you know, I don't have a problem with with uh, seemingly harsh words. I think one issue is that because because of the nature of his communications, you know, he'll do expansive Q and A's with the U.S. Soccer's website. But then, you know, my understanding, and I don't have, I can't confirm this, but my understanding is the press conference last night after the game was limited to eight minutes. Mm. So, you know, and there's there's any there's many many different factors to that, and and I know that he wants to to spread information, um, and I think it's okay to, to to present tough messages. But again, you know, the stuff he said to Steve Goff of the Washington Post last week about that, the education levels, the understanding, the savvy of the collective soccer community. Uh, I think that's a discussion to have, but I wish it would be fleshed out more. Let's let's get into that. Let's have, you know, he did some great roundtables during the qualifying process of the 2014, uh, where he was very open. Um, and I think I think there's maybe a little, still a little bit of the European player's mentality to him to how he approaches the media. You know, the relationship is much more adversarial there with the media in, in Europe and in South America as well than it is here traditionally, at least. Um, and I think there's a tendency for his for his players to follow suit. So I do. I I, I wish that we could discuss some of these things in a in, you know in a in a very open and level headed way. I think right now there's a lot of divisiveness among the fan base because there's those who who see Klinsman as the key still as the linchpin, regardless of slips and mistakes, and the, and and they see this larger systemic goals as you know he's the only one or at least the best one to address those. And then and then there's a lot of people who've tuned him out who've. Who've simply been too frustrated and are too uh, underwhelmed by what they see on the field, so it's a, it's a tough situation. And I, I think, for me, the ball is in his court at this point to to tell us what we're not seeing from this team's performances that that he does see that should be reason for positivity. Uh, I guess at this point, I mean, again, you know, we're we're all steaming f- uh, forward towards that Mexico game. Um, you hoped for some sort of confidence. Again, like, keeping in context that these are friendlies, and, and the lessons learned are always they always come with many caveats. Um, it, it, with the roster restrictions, all of those things, I, I don't know that it, I don't know what to ask you at this point, Charlie, because I don't think it's about hey, should they be confident? Because I I think that's tough to, to know right now I, I, the the rivalry aspect means that form isn't necessarily um, the end-all be-all when you head into that game at the Rose Bowl I, I just I don't know I mean, should we be viewing um, I, we'll all be happier I suppose uh, those of us who are are having trouble with the Klinsman era if we just view this in the big picture and I've said that this is a much about faith in Klinsman sort of a blind faith as it is um, about what we see on the field, if you want to go along with his with, with his program here. Well, I don't. No, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know that I'd say blind faith. Um, if you've been impressed to date, if you if you've invested your belief, I, I I'm guessing that a, a friendly loss to Brazil won't be the thing that pushes you over the edge. Um, and again, I want to stress, you know, I. I don't think that the result last night, the final score on the scoreboard, sh- should matter as much as the quality of play, the the flashes or lack thereof shown by this team. Um, there's a concept called guided discovery that you hear batted around a lot in the youth soccer world. This idea that at some point a, a coach gets out of the way and lets players learn things through gameplay, through certain practice activities that are maybe not explicitly directed to the same level uh, um, by a coach as other things. Um, some people think it's very useful. Other people think it's actually kind of a crock because players can only learn what you teach them. 
and you have to create uh, a certain level of virtuosity in terms of technical and tactical ability before players can figure out stuff on their own, right? I mean, we don't ask for the same sort of um, independent thinking from a middle schooler or a grade schooler that we that we demand from a college student. Um, but I saw, I, I was really wondering, I've been wondering if last night was some uh, an attempt at guided discovery by Klinsman. And he, he talked a lot about how we still look to coaches in this country rather than looking to players. And I think that's a great point. We fetishize the coach in all of our American sports here. But I don't think, it, it certainly didn't work last night. If the idea was for the players to sort that out on the field and figure it out, there's still something missing. And the buck has to stop at the coach. So, you know, we can be frustrated and doubtful and confused uh, on the sidelines and in the stands and in the press box, and maybe that's just that's just inevitable at this stage. But when the players show it, I think that's that should have alarm bells ringing all around um, because they can only do um, you know they they are they hit limitations that the coach can influence directly. So um, whether it's playing with a handbrake or you know not being mentally prepared, not having the right tactics or structure or, or game plan, you know I'm I'm looking for um, high-level uh, symptoms and signs of, of, of high-level coaching virtuosity from from Klinsman, and certainly last night, I don't think anybody would say that's uh, that that this, the U.S. was were prepared to go toe to toe with Brazil. It just it just wasn't on. Well, what you've identified there is in the fact that we do fetishize coaches. That uh, that, that maybe Klinsman is is as you said, got a discovery. That that's a pillar in the edifice that is lack of accountability at the end of the day. Now, I'm not saying that Klinsman's necessarily trying to manipulate anybody into not holding him accountable, but at the, when you make that argument that we're trying to get the players to, to, to work out the problems, to figure things out on their own, like, hey, we're going to put you in a difficult position that you've never played in before, go figure... That, that essentially takes all of the burden off of the coach to get it right, because at the end of the day, he can just say, well, you know, I need my players to figure things out, and takes no responsibility. Yeah, well, I think you know it's um, it's if you look over at another uh, prominent coach who is connected with the the U.S. in past years, you know, supposedly um, not that long ago, the U.S. was very very close to to inking a deal with Marcelo uh, Bielsa, the uh, you know El Loco, who's one of the great masterminds, I think, tactical masterminds of world football today. Um, who who comes in and 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 has a very clear plan and asks for very clear things from his players, whether it's club or country. He hasn't always been successful. He hasn't always been able to sustain his success. But when you watch the effects he's had on the Argentine system in general, on the Chilean national team, uh, on several European clubs, uh, you know, most recently Marseille and um, and um, Bilbao in Spain. You know, there's a clear blueprint and there's there's a very clear ideology. And I remain. More confused, I guess, about about Jurgen Klinsmann's tactical and philosophical uh, identity and philosophy, you know, as a coach, um, than I was when he took the job. Uh, so that's, you know, there, there's there's something to be said for coming, you know, gathering the best players you can uh, that are eligible to play for your national team, giving them very simple or sorry, very clear um, but very uh, actionable directives and 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 putting them in a system that they can grasp quickly and just run out there and and utilize their traits to the best of their abilities we've seen so many different looks from this national team um i think we're four years in now to this to to the klinsman era and there's it's not clear um what he wants tactically and and i i think at some point he's got to impose it you know if his players aren't giving him what he wants then he has to to change the the approach a bit and, and impose things differently it's a sliding scale as to how much the results matter when there is a difficult to pin down notion of making changes and working out, you know, a, a push of the system and making people again comfort zones. We always talk about comfort zones with Jurgen Klinsmann, Charlie. It it always comes back to him saying taking people out of their comfort zone. They need to be out of their comfort zone. That's how you get better. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Paulo on Twitter wants to know what you make of Mexico very quickly because they did have a. A game last night as well. They drew with Argentina 2-2. They were up in that game 2-0 uh, until about the 85th minute. And for the most part, I mean, Argentina controlled the ball. Argentina was, uh, you know, uh, certainly uh, more effective in the attacking end in terms of, of creating space and the like. But Mexico hit hard on the counter. Yeah, I thought, you know, again, teams, I think Mexico you know, generally speaking of late at least and, and traditionally if we go back years and decades, um, has a way they want to play. They have a vision for um, 
for 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 the style and and the tactics and uh, and they they are you know they they step up for these games. I mean, they tend to to play their best matches um, against. Uh, top opposition in a lot of cases you know they they have no i think their fans are are very comfortable and very eager to see see them go toe-to-toe with mexico or with uh with brazil argentina you know the netherlands in the world cup teams like that and and you know when you watch those games the gap um is smaller i think than than it typically is with the u.s they're more more able between their technical development their steady stream of player development uh etc you know, to stand toe to toe, even though they don't often get the the final results, I think they still have work to do as a team. Um, I think you know what you're getting with Mexico, and they're able to plug in, you know, different pieces when when others aren't available. Uh, I think a second choice Mexico team is still much less of a drop off from the first choice that, than we see here in the U.S. So they have a lot of uh, institutional advantages at this point. Their their youth development system is one is a is one of the the best in the world. And yeah, I think we've now reached a point as a U.S. fan base or as a U.S. soccer community where uh, the maybe the, the joy of, of being able to have reached a level playing field with them over the past decade and a half has now faded. And we realize there's certain institutional advantages that um, that they have that are going to take us a long time to catch up yeah. in. And, and uh, you know, the exodus of players, a steady stream of dual eligible players who, who choose Mexican development env- environment shows you that as well. So I think uh, I think they have a lot more good things to take away from that draw with Argentina than the U.S. does from Brazil. Yeah, well, we we come we come back to this at the end of the day for me. And this is, you know, I advocate patience on the part of U.S. soccer fans, even though I'm obviously having trouble with Jurgen Klinsmann right now and, and the way the team is going. The United States are traditionally overachieved, and Mexico is traditionally underachieved, at least a little bit on each side. Uh, we'll see if things change in the near future. Charlie Boehm, ussoccerplayers.com, mlssoccer.com. He's all over the place. Go follow him on Twitter, soccerwire.com, C-B-O-E-H-M. Uh, Charlie, appreciate the time. Good discussion. I, we could go another hour, but we uh, we don't. We can't. You got, you got <laughs> no, stuff to do. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Jason. All right. Thanks a lot, Charlie. There goes Charlie Boehm. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls. You have thoughts on USA Brazil. You might have thoughts on Mexico as well. You maybe have thoughts on Don Garver's comments at SoccerX in Manchester. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. During the past few months, we've created a new weekend tradition, which includes watching your favorite MLS team play on TV, muting the broadcast, heading over to Rabble.tv to hear my audio during the game, and then drinking a cold beverage as we spend 90 minutes together discussing our favorite league. Now Rabble.tv is taking it to the next level with a brand new redesign, as well as new apps for Android and iOS smartphones and tablets. So no matter whether you're at home or on the road, tune into this Sunday's broadcast between Orlando and Sporting Kansas City and listen to me sharing my thoughts and opinions. With Rabble, you can join in too by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone or Android, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Orlando City versus Sporting Kansas City on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday, the Aftermath Show, the Aftermath of USA 4, sorry, we got me that backwards, Brazil 4, USA 1, of course we wish it was USA 4, it wasn't, Brazil crushed the United States last night, it's also the Aftermath of Don Garber making some interesting comments at SoccerX in Manchester, we'll get to those. I also just watched an incredible advertisement from, uh, who was that from? I don't know. But it was uh, an ad for USA Mexico on October 10th that featured, uh, heavily featured Mr. Donald Trump. I enjoyed that very much. It was a Mexican uh, Mexican advertisement <laughs> using his words against him. Richard, Philadelphia, you're on the air. Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm doing well, sir. All right. Uh, I 
I know everyone wants to talk about USA Brazil, but I want to talk about the labor problems going on in Australia. All right, go, go for it. Well, I know a lot of talk has been about the Matildas and the women's team about to cancel, could, which could cancel the U.S. women's friendly that happens next week, but also it affects the men's and, and the men's league as well. And yep. it, they were asking for like you know more money, more, more money, more more benefits for, for their playing. And it's also it's so similar to the, to the uh, what's it called? What happened in MLS earlier this year? Yeah, it, yeah, of course. Any CBA negotiation, um, it, first of all, it's going to be difficult. Uh, this this uh, they, there it is a different situation, as you said, because this group, the Professional Footballers Australia, represents the men's team, the women's team, and the A League players. So this is all tied up together, um, which I think is is probably not the best uh, for. For Australian football, I, I I don't have any other insight into it other than to say that we have tra- we traditionally uh, certainly as soccer fans side with the players. Uh, this is another league that is trying to grow in a in a environment where it's a second or third most popular sport at the very best. Uh, trying to grow in a in a place that has traditionally not been a soccer hotbed. So. You know, when we see when we see the A League sort of struggle with these growth things, we should take some uh, we should take some cues from it. And, and again, not, it never, not everything is directly comparable to MLS, but there's certainly a lot of similarities that can inform what the next steps are both ways. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of it's also one. This story came out about it. The A League, one of the A League owners, I think, for Brisbane said. We're losing money. We have no money. And it's like, wow, we just hear MLS owners say, "We have no money. We have no money." So, oh, the rhetoric's you know, always it's, the it's same. Good. Yeah, the rhetoric, Rick, the, the, the rhetoric is always the same. And here's the you just bring that up, okay? So during the MLS CBA, CBA negotiations, what was Don Garber saying? We're losing $100 million. Uh, we don't have a lot of profitable teams or, or nobody, you know, only two clubs are profitable. We're losing money. We don't have any money. Don't ask us for any money. What are you talking about money? Now, here we are. Yeah. Here we are, what, eight months later? Something like that. And Garber's in Manchester, and he's there saying stuff about how how great the league's doing, and how we're uh, the league's averaging almost twenty two thousand fans a game, and we had sixty five thousand people at Portland, Seattle, and we're averaging thirty thousand in in New York City and thirty thousand in Orlando, and that in in ten years or less, people will think of MLS on the same level as Syria and La Liga, and hopefully the Premier League. I mean that's, that's and didn't he say also we we and then I think my brother just read it, he said we pay more money for academies than we did for first team. He first said team he, he said it. he said that the that MLS teams are spending more on their academies now than they did on their senior squads five years ago. Which yeah. you know that sounds good and it is. I mean it's growth. There's no doubt about it. It's improvement. But keep in mind the context of where MLS was in terms of the salary cap five years ago. And where MLS is, is in terms of the salary cap right now, and still, in in a relative sense compared to the rest of the world, how little they spend on their academies. I cannot. I'm not going to sit here, Rick, uh, Richard, and tell people to go out and spend a bunch of money and flush it down the toilet and just take losses for the good of the game. I don't think that's fair. But when Don Garber stands up in front of people and says, "We're going to be this in ten years. We're going to be this by 2022. We're going to be big. We're going to be huge. Just watch." Blah blah blah. They can't sit on their hands and wait for that to happen of its own accord. They have to be progressive and active, and I don't think they've been progressive and active enough. Exactly. I agree. I totally agree with you. Yep. You got anything else? Hey, hey, one more thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if I could get a jersey number. Oh, yeah, man. Sure, absolutely. You've called in a bunch. You know, sometimes it's, it's interesting because we have Rick in Philly, who hasn't called in a while, whose name is actually Richard. So sometimes I get you guys yeah. confused when I when I look up at the phones, but I do know, uh, obviously you're a different guy. Let me let me see what I got. What number you want, Rick? Richard, sorry. Uh, Rick, see, see what I just did? I said Rick when I meant Richard. Twenty one. All right. So yeah. Richard in Philly, soccer morning jersey number twenty one. All right, you're in the books, Richard. Appreciate the call, man. I think. Thanks a lot. Let's uh, let's move on and uh, see if anybody wants to talk USA Brazil. Oh, look, Bill in New York wants to talk USA Brazil. Hey, Bill. Jason, how's it going? Uh, uh, my question for you about last night's game. Yeah. If you could pick one guy to put on the field that would have changed the result at all, who would you have put out there? Uh, you know, uh, I suppose, I suppose Clint Dempsey. I mean, you just, you're just going to have more danger. They may have still given up four goals. 
but I think they would have been more dangerous on the night. They might have got it might have been four two and we feel better about it, or it might have been four uh, three if things had gone exactly right. Um, I, I think Clint Dempsey's the guy. Now you can make an argument for Fabian Johnson, uh, but he is you know as a wing player probably less involved over the course of ninety minutes than somebody like Clint Dempsey. And Clint Dempsey's going to drop back into midfield. He's going to help Michael Bradley. Um, though, though that was clear last night that Bradley suffered from uh you know just not a it was Bradley and Altador what were they going to do I, I tell you a couple months ago I would have said I, I'm even now I think we should move away from the guy I'm going to pick but I really think we could have used him last night was Beckerman okay I think somebody in the midfield we were they were running by our midfield like we weren't even there yeah and then like I wanted to find fault with our center backs I think everybody did because everybody's like why is he going with these two guys I almost feel like he couldn't even blame it on him because by the time they got to those guys, they're going ninety miles an hour. There's yeah. nobody slowing them up. Yeah, you know, I, I did, and, I did, um, I, I did player ratings for ESPN FC last night. I found it very, very difficult for for a number of reasons. Nobody was good. Nobody. There was not a good performance on the field, unless you want to give Brad Guzan a bit of a pass because what the hell is he supposed to do on those four goals? I, 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 but I had a problem because so many of those guys were put in a position that, um, that a reasonable coach would know they're going to fail in. And I'm sure maybe Clemson even did. And he just wanted to test his guys. Fine. How do you judge Tim Ream playing left back against Brazil when he's got to deal with Willian? He's got to deal with, um, uh, Roberto Firmino when he comes on the field. He's got to deal with Neymar. He's got, same thing for Jeff Cameron on the other side. Now, Cameron was, I think, worse on the night. Tim Ream's not a bad defender, but he does. He, there's no way he's keeping up with players 1v1. He's going to be a liability. He's not a fullback. He doesn't have the foot speed. So how do I possibly rate him over the course of 90 minutes? I get, you know, I didn't give him a good rating. I'm not saying a, I, I gave him a pass. But it makes it tough to kind of swallow the fact that that guy was not put in a position to succeed. It was. It was impossible. I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm watching the game, and I, I was really watching our defense. Because I'm like, God, he's got to, I mean, Gonzalez, he's pretty much done with him, it seems like. You know, the guy didn't get a million in this game, and I'm trying to find fault with it. And I was like, you just, you can't blame those four guys in the back last night, the way they were coming at him. There was just, there was no no stopping them by the time they got there. The well, I mean, then you, then you uh, again, everybody wants to pick out individual performances. And, and I know this comes with the territory. So I get tweets about, oh, Michael Bradley was terrible. Josie Altador was terrible. This guy was terrible. That guy was terrible. And individually, of course, in a game where you lose 4-1, more, more than likely those players were individually terrible. But this is a team sport. And soccer, more than anything else, relies on everybody doing their job to reflect positively or to allow another player to do his job. Now, a, a turnover in the attacking end that becomes a, a counterattacking goal for Brazil, okay, clearly, you put that squarely on DeAndre Gedlin or whoever made the pass. But when we're talking about Michael Bradley, again, He's a, he's a human being. Um, you can only ask so much out of him. And if he's not supported in the midfield, what is he supposed to do? The same thing goes for those fullbacks. What are they supposed to do? Uh, you've got two center backs who've never played together before. Uh, and, and the midfield with Bedoya and Jones to start, but Jones who likes to go way off his leash, Bedoya who is not built for that role and was essentially manhandled in 36 minutes. How does that help a back line? At all. I mean, these things are connected. Again, not to give anybody a pass, Bill, but just to say that as a team, like if I could, if I could have, I would have just said the whole team gets a three and let's move on. I was just going to answer, who'd you give your highest rating to? I gave it to Guzan because I didn't think he was necessarily responsible for any of those goals. Well, besides Guzan, any of the field players, you told were better than them. I think I gave somebody a four and a half. I don't remember who it was. I mean, that's how, that's how bad, you know. It, it, that's how bad it was. I, I, I know it was only a small thing, and by the time they came in, the game thought to open up a little bit. But I thought Joe Hansen and Morris were okay. Okay, yeah, in limited action, Morris was fine. Actually, no, I did. I think I may even give, maybe even give Jordan Morris the highest grade if I did give him a grade. I'm not sure he got 30 minutes, which is our limit, so our, our requirement. But he he certainly showed better. And but then again, in context, Jordan Morris comes in. Everybody's already played an hour of soccer or more there the legs are tired he's a very much very much an energy player it's going to make him look better than he actually is you know those spaces are opening up there's gaps and that's a good strategic substitution if you need to use it in a game you're you're trying to win 
But in that situation, do we really want to say that Jordan Morris was good or 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 that means something going forward, considering the context of the game? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to these questions, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> the Mexico game is going to be interesting. Yeah, it absolutely is. Appreciate the phone call, man. Got anything else? No? Yeah. Thanks, Jason. All right, there you go. All right, so, you know, we, we touched on these Don Garber comments with Richard in Philly when he called in because – you know, again, it's sort of juxtaposed against what they were saying during the CBA negotiations. It is pretty fascinating. But he went right, wide-ranging. Let me just give you a sample. He's talking about the fan base increasing. The youngest percentage of our fan base that are millennials is higher than any other league. Research in the U.S. has said that the 18-35 to 35 group, I'm about to age out of that group, man, I'm sad. Their second favorite sport after the NFL is professional soccer. That speaks to what, what the opportunity is. It allows us to invest more in our players and our facilities, Allows us to have that energy to think about 20 years, 20 teams. Imagine what our league will look like in 20 years from now or 50 years when we, get, when we will still be relatively long in the, young in the lifespan of a professional sport. So it's empowering. Again, the man is selling here. Okay, that's just some demographic stuff. I mean, again, he's selling. So when he says something like, we can challenge La Liga and Serie A in 10 years, maybe that's an actual goal. Maybe that's a, 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 a outlined an outline thing they're chasing in MLS HQ. But it's also about him being the point man, the face of the league to say, we're growing, get on board, How, you know, you should be paying attention. It's all a sell job. So you have to take this, because I see so many people viscerally reacting to Don Garber, like we haven't heard this stuff before, or like he's guilty of some ridiculous sin of selling his, oh God, he's selling the league? How dare he? Now, I don't know why we are so intent on having MLS quote unquote know its place, but that's the, I'm I'm not saying that I like what Don Garber is saying here. It doesn't really matter to me. It's all, it's all fluff for the most part. But when he talks about chasing after La Liga and Serie A and people say, try to get to Liga MX level first, I think that misses the point. He's in Europe right now. He's at, he's in Manchester. He's selling the league, not only to those people, but to anybody with a bit of cash, to all of the fans who might hear these. I mean, it's just being out in public selling MLS. MLS has a lot of problems that they need to address. And my, my issue when he's selling MLS and talking about these things is the actions, which I care about much more than the words, don't match. So if he's going to say these things, that's fine. Sell the league. But also, on the other side, back them up. He can say, we're going to be the best league in the world in 10 years. And I wouldn't care about that as long as MLS was doing things to give me the sense they were actually making progress towards that goal. I don't care if their target is Liga MX, Syria, Brazil, Syria, the Colombian League. I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what they're targeting in public. What matters is what MLS is doing to improve its league. They made a lot of progress. They're added a lot of teams. But don't then say, don't say these things and then spend three and a half million dollars per team with a couple of guys making 10, a couple of guys making eight. Don't, don't do that. That's not good enough. There's been market progress in MLS. Some people are impatient enough not to think it doesn't, that's not good enough. That's fine. And I'm, again, I can't ask, I can't ask anybody, billionaire or not, millionaire or not, to just dump money into this and end up coming, you know, losing a bunch of cash. That's that's happened. Guys have lost a lot of money on this league. But there certainly is more money available to invest in the product on the field than MLS is spending. Because what we know about MLS revenue is that it does not, the, the amount of money that goes to the player salaries is well below the standard for any other professional sport. Hockey is out of control on the one end. I think the NFL split is 49-51 or 50-50, something in that area. If MLS could reach that, how much better would they be? How much better would MLS be if they could just reach a 50-50 split? 647-636-832-3909 is your phone number. We've got a couple of minutes left on a Wednesday show. It's been a two-topic show. We, we did go over the news earlier, but it's been a two-topic show. U.S. Men's National Team, Don Garber here. Uh, we did briefly touch on the uh, the labor strife between the professional footballers Australia and the Football Federation Australia. Perhaps we can flesh that out more in their near future. 
in Europe with this European qualifying situation. Again, Austria taking apart Sweden. I mean, that, it wasn't even a match. Watched a little bit of that game myself. Four to one. The Fighting Zlatans are, uh, are in trouble. Just, I'm sorry, reading tweets here. Bo Dur is, uh, is uh, distracting me. We're, what we're seeing now is what doubling MLS pay gets you. It's not Arsenal or Everton. That would take a hundred times. Yes, right. Exactly. I, I, I suppose that I, I, I follow here. Um, and the gap is so large in terms of the level of spending that to even put, this is what offends people, I imagine, to even put MLS in that conversation sounds ridiculous. Again, I have no problem with selling the league. I have no problem with putting a, a shiny bow on uh, a league that has made progress. This is, uh, this, is, uh, this is not a clear line progression. For MLS, it's not, and this goes for the national team too. And maybe that's why we're taking our lumps right now in terms of the Gold Cup and potentially uh, whatever happens against Mexico. There's not going to be. It's not the 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 year over year improvement isn't going to be a straight line. This graph is not going to look like a 45 degree angle. It's not going to do that. And it's occasionally it'll take a an even steeper level uh, move up and in a lot of places it'll flatten out not because anybody intends for that to happen but because these are not necessarily things you can control at all levels what you can control is how much you spend what you can control is the practical elements uh, of this uh, we'll see what happens i mean again garber's in in manchester talking a lot people have natural reactions to these things and and also I'll, I'll say something that that scott nichols pointed out to me he said his dad in england watches mls and, and despite the weird stuff that's different than what he sees in europe he likes it he finds it entertaining it's fine it's his prerogative not everybody will but that's good what that what, what that sort of illustrates is that it's fine for mls to be different i i, I don't have any problem with mls being different meaning having conferences having playoffs even having a salary cap, those differences actually separate MLS from the rest of the pack. And some of that actually comes back into play when we're talking about what Garber's saying and what the imagined future is where MLS is on that level of Syria and La Liga and whoever. And I maintain that this isn't just about MLS making progress. This isn't just about MLS investing more in its product producing better homegrown players, spending more money on his player salaries. It's also about what I think MLS believes about where the world of European football is headed, that there may be a regression at some point, certainly below the super clubs of Bayern Munich and Manchester United and Bar Barcelona and the like, that those clubs who are not bringing in that kind of revenue the clubs who can't compete with Manchester United and Bayern Munich for titles are going to suffer a reckoning at some point. There, there's plenty of talk out there already from various European soccer figures that a salary cap might be okay at the top level, in the top divisions. Salary cap might be the way to go. That the commercial side of the game has gotten out of control. That thanks to Bosman and thanks to transfer fees and thanks to European Union laws and everything else that plays into how open that market is. Things have gotten silly. When the bubble burst, what will happen? Oh, well, now Europe Europe isn't putting together uh, quite the competitive league in this place or that place. Now MLS is closer. That, that would take a serious shift in perception. It would take some some pretty momentous things to happen to some pretty big clubs historically. But I imagine that's not the it's part of the thought process. In a world where everybody's on a salary cap, MLS is a competitor now. MLS is on a, a level playing field on in in some ways with those European leagues. All right, I guess you guys don't have any more thoughts on USA and Brazil. That's fine. We'll talk again about this team heading into Brazil. I'm sorry, heading to Mexico uh, in a month and a day. That's when that happens. October 10th, Rose, Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. I think, I think tickets actually went on sale today. The general sale, I don't know. The pre-sale stuff, I, I, I'm not following the actual 
uh, delivery of, of, of tickets, but uh, that's all coming together soon. Let's wrap this one up. Make sure you check out backheel.com slash store for some pretty cool stuff over there. Uh, we're on iTunes. How many ratings and review? How many, uh, how many reviews do we have? Or how many ratings do we have? What do we judge it on? I forget. We need you to go and rate and review the show is what I'm saying. I haven't mentioned that in a very long time, but that helps us out a lot. Uh, make sure you also check out Soccer Morning on YouTube. I know YouTube was down today and we couldn't do the show uh, via video, but we have some things in the work. We're, we're, we're fleshing some stuff out. We're being very sandbox over there with some video content. So make sure you check that out. Hit the subscribe button so you know when stuff is coming, and uh, and it should be it should be cool. I- I'm ready for it. Let's uh, let's try some stuff out. Let's also step aside, and I will talk to you tomorrow here on WorldSoccerTalk.com, and I'll talk to you in about 50 minutes over at SiriusXMFC. See you later. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive